When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. We want to get people back to work. We've got to be paving the pathways. It is up to Congress to kind of set the rules of the road, but you have to wonder what Facebook's final objective is in that. Bloomberg Sound Off. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. If they just simply reopened the economy and returned everyone back to work, we would be, I think, in a better situation today. Washington may squander its best chance to make long overdue investments in our infrastructure. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden is in the eternal city, but we are still here in the bubble where Democratic lawmakers have yet to find enough trust to vote on infrastructure. We'll talk about it straight ahead with Congressman Richie Torres, Democrat from New York, a progressive with very strong views on climate, affordable housing and the timing in which these bills should be handled in the House. Our Friday Reporters Roundtable in place with Bloomberg Washington Bureau Chief Peggy Collins, along with Jody Schneider, political director for Bloomberg TV and radio. We're going to analyze where we are in this whole process, what could be coming up next week for infrastructure, and also talk about President Biden's trip to the G20 in Rome and next week's U.N. Climate Summit in Glasgow. Later, we'll turn to the New York mayoral election. My conversations with both candidates will hear from Democrat Eric Adams, Republican Curtis Slewa. Bloomberg's Scott Woodhouse, also covering the New Jersey gubernatorial race, will join us later on. It's Friday. We're going to end this week strong. And we start right here in Washington, where most of the news coverage has centered on what did not happen late yesterday. And by that, I mean a vote on the BIF. Even after President Biden rolled up to Capitol Hill with the big framework for reconciliation, call it what you will, a three-page document, a plan, a framework. Progressives liked it, but still did not move on infrastructure. And we want to get into this a little bit now with Congressman Richie Torres, Democrat from New York, whose district includes most of the South Bronx. And he's with us now. Congressman, welcome to Bloomberg Radio. It's an honor to be here. Much was said yesterday about the framework issued by the White House what did you think about the contents as we know them? And was it the right thing to not vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill last night? Look, I'm actually more optimistic than ever. Um, you know, the president came before the Democratic caucus and announced that he has a framework that, is, that he is confident will pass both the Senate and the House. So we have a clear path forward, and I'm hopeful that we're going to pass both the bipartisan infrastructure framework and the Build Back Better Act in the weeks to come. 
What's your criteria for this? Do you need to see both bills move at the same time? Do you want to see an actual piece of legislation for the soft infrastructure bill before voting for the BIF? What, what's your view on that? Well, the, the president's priority is to pass not one, but both bills. I mean, the president explicitly said he wants both bills to pass and he needs our votes for both bills. And I'm committed to voting for both of them. Um, you know, the position of the progressive caucus has long been trust but verify. Mm-hmm. And the best form of verification is an actual vote on the Build Back Better Act in the Senate. Uh, that will guarantee the passage of both bills. That's an important distinction, though. You want to see a vote in the Senate as opposed to a piece of legislation that will be voted on. I, I think we need to vote for the totality of the president's agenda. Right? Neither bill is sufficient on its own. It's the combination of the Build Back Better Act and the bipartisan bill that will have a real impact in modernizing American infrastructure and building a 21st century social contract. Would you, like some other progressives, like to work to reinsert some components like for instance, paid family leave in what would be a final version, or does this move forward in its current state? Look, I would love to see more, and I will keep fighting for more. But if both bills came to the floor for a vote, I would vote, I would vote for both of them in their present form. Can I ask you, just in terms of process here and the way these ideas and, and, and these policies are rolled out, are you in favor generally of, of a big comprehensive approach like this, or could these have been done each in their own bill, a paid family leave bill, a Medicare expansion bill, a child care bill, or would that have made it more difficult for them all to pass with, with such small majorities in the House and Senate? The, the root of all evil in Washington, D.C. is the filibuster. The filibuster, Washington, D.C., and the Senate in particular, all but ungovernable. And so we had no choice but to take a comprehensive approach in order to go through the reconciliation process, which is exempt from the filibuster. And we only have two bites at the apple, right? We passed one bill, the American Rescue Plan through reconciliation. Mm -hmm. This is our second bite at the apple. Um, So we had no choice but to take the comprehensive approach. The alternative was not an option because it would have died at the hands of the filibuster, at the hands of obstructionism from the Republican Party. Congressman Torres, I know the issue of affordable housing is important to you. The current state of reconciliation, as I understand it, is is still including the housing trust fund and some other measures designed to help support housing for low-income families and workers. Is there enough in this framework to make this situation better in your state? Look, the latest draft of the Build Back Better Act makes the largest investments in affordable housing in the history of the United States. Um, you know, no, no topic matters more to me than public housing. Um, I would not be where I am today were it not for public housing and the stability it gave me and my family. And public housing has been so chronically underfunded in New York City in particular that it has a capital need of $40 billion in counting. So I grew up in conditions of mold and mildew, leaks and lead without consistent heat and hot water in the winter. There are children in public housing who have been poisoned by lead in their own homes. There are senior citizens who, during the cold of winter, are freezing in their own apartments with their boilers constantly breaking down. And so the latest draft of the Build Back Better Act would invest $65 billion in public housing, which is enough resources to fundamentally improve living conditions and end the humanitarian crisis in public housing in New York City and elsewhere in the country. Over what period of time would that money be spent? How quickly could that get to work for New York? I mean, capital improvements take time, but um, it's 
you know, the process of reconciliation unfolds over a 10 year period. Congressman, I wonder how you feel about the climate provisions as well. The clean power grid component that uh, was hashed out uh, for weeks and weeks did not make it into the final version. Does this collection of policies, tax incentives and, and other incentives for EVs, for instance, uh, get this done for you? $555 billion in a climate investment. Are you satisfied with the way that looks now? Look, I would have loved to have seen the inclusion of the Clean Energy Performance Program, but we had to remove it from the final draft as a concession to Joe Manchin, who has veto power effectively. But more than a half a trillion dollars in tax incentives for clean energy investments is staggering. Um, There's no doubt in my mind that the latest framework is going to accelerate our country's transition to a clean energy economy, which is desperately needed. Um, You know, here in New York City, we've seen not one but two record rainfalls in the span of a single week. One of those record rainfalls was described as a one in a 500 year event. I saw residents drown in their own basement apartments from heavy flooding, uh, motorists who had to be evacuated from the top of their vehicles by emergency responders on lifeboats, commuters who had to be evacuated from flooded subways. So the extreme weather patterns that have taken hold are a wake up call that we as a country cannot be complacent about climate change. And we have infrastructure for a world that no longer exists and desperately needs to be upgraded. As a New Yorker, I'd like to ask you about the vaccine mandate. This appears to be an issue for a lot of police officers, firefighters, even sanitation workers who are promising to refuse to take the vaccine and and could be walking off the job essentially on Monday. Is it possible to run a city under those conditions, and should that mandate be in place? There should be a mandate, and there's ample precedent for vaccine mandates. You know, no child can enter the public school system without undergoing vaccination on a whole range of infectious diseases, right, from pertussis to smallpox uh, to, to hepatitis. So there's nothing unusual about vaccine mandates. And in fact, we as a society, we never would have eradicated smallpox from the world were not for vaccine mandates. We never would have eradicated polio from the United States were it not for for vaccine mandates. Uh, So I I consider vaccine mandates to be a miracle of modern medicine, and it is profoundly irresponsible for any public servant to defy a vaccine mandate. We're going to have to figure out how to make accommodations, but, but we have to do a combination of incentives and mandates you know, steer people in the direction towards vaccination. Um, you know, the, the more people we vaccinate, the closer we are to achieving normal life again, not only in the city, but in the country. Um, if, if the virus is left to spread unchecked, it's going to mutate, and we run the risk of a mutation that could evade the vaccine. Yeah. And that's the worst-case scenario. Would you consider adding a testing option to that vaccine requirement if it meant keeping people at work? Look, it's not in New York City's interest to see a mass um, exodus of municipal employees. So we're going to have to figure out an accommodation. But I want to be crystal clear. I support the vaccine mandate and violations of the mandate are profoundly irresponsible as a matter of public health. Representative Torres, just to end where we started here, do you expect a vote on infrastructure and reconciliation in the next week? Or are you looking more as a end of year type of time frame? I mean, the two bills could pass as early as next week, but I'm hopeful that we will get it done 
right before Thanksgiving. So we will have much to be grateful for. <laughs> Congressman Richie Torres, we thank you for your time today on Bloomberg. Thank you. Democratic Senator Tim Kaine sees it passing sooner, infrastructure that is. He talked about it in an interview today with Bloomberg's David Weston. Yeah, here's here's my here's what my gut tells me right now. I think the infrastructure bill will go to Biden's desk within the next 10 days. And I think the reconciliation bill will be voted on by the Senate right before the Thanksgiving recess. Another reason to circle Thanksgiving on the calendar. Coming up, we get into all this with our Friday Reporters Roundtable. Bloomberg Washington Bureau Chief Peggy Collins, Jody Schneider will be with us, political director for Bloomberg TV and radio. The fastest hour in politics. It's called Sound On. We're glad you're with us. Stay here. We'll check markets and traffic on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, Pelosi leading talks to add drug price cuts in Biden plan. So this is clearly not done. And we get into the debate now with our Friday Reporters Roundtable. Jody Schneider, political director for Bloomberg TV and radio, is here, along with Bloomberg's brand new Washington bureau chief, Peggy Collins. Peggy, congratulations. We are delighted to have you at the helm here in Washington. I want to welcome you to Sound On. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Absolutely, Peggy. How much actually changed yesterday is what I want to know. We woke up to news of the framework, the president back on the hill, reporters are running around town, so were lawmakers. Well, so is the president. And while progressives were happy, this still feels, as we just talked about with the congressman, still feels far from over. Did the White House advance the ball or not this week? Well, I think they clarified maybe where the ball is going um, this week. But I think there's still a lot to go because I think there are a lot of members of Congress who still aren't happy with where they are and how much has been cut out of the original bill. I think also taxes were in the forefront again this week. And I think a lot of members of Congress on the Democratic side are not happy with how much the ambition of this plan has been scaled down on the tax front. So a lot still to come there. It was a bit of a wild week. At one point, there was um, we were reporting that there was going to be a billionaire's tax where yes. things really settled at the end of this week. It looks like the, that is out and um, there's a millionaire surtax that is in. But that certainly is leaving a lot of room for the top top of the wealthiest people in this country to still use some of the same um, tax strategies that they have used in the past. So we have a great story out that just launched on the terminal not too long ago this afternoon by my colleagues Ben Steverman and Laura Davison, which really walks through, you know, where we are in terms of the taxation of the wealthiest in this country. It's amazing, uh, Jody. We're getting whiplash here. You spend two days reporting on a billionaire's tax, then all of a sudden the thing is gone. Did, did Democrats make up for that loss of the billionaire's tax, along with, the, you know, the it was not just the tax on in, unrealized gains, but some of the other concepts that didn't make the cut. Is this plan paid for? Well, that's really the question, Joe. I think, you know, um, how paid for is it? <laughs> might be a weather way to ask it. We really, um, we've seen some other things that they've tossed in there um, you know, to make up for that, but it's unclear what will stick in the end. Uh, and that's always the problem with these things that you come up with a you know a, a dollar figure and you and you try to make the two sides match and it's difficult to do because um, you know there's people who don't like the pay for the so-called pay fors and there's people
people who don't like uh, some of what is in there or don't think there's enough in there. And that's sort of where we are right now. Um, I think it, you know, you can get there. Uh, it depends on whether these things, you know, the math works out. And then they're throwing things in there like IRS enforcement, which we've seen in every bill where they're looking for pay for us for, oh, I don't know, more than a dozen years, right? Huh. <laughs> and um, so it's hard to know if it's totally paid for or not. The problem they have right now, the Democrats, though, is do they have enough in there to make those progressives happy? The deal was supposed to be, well, Nancy Pelosi said she wanted, what the president said he wanted, was that uh, this gave them a framework so that the House could go ahead and vote on that Senate-passed infrastructure bill and give him sort of a win, particularly around climate, yeah. um, for when he gets to you know the, the Glasgow summit on climate and also at the G20. He didn't really get that because we haven't seen any votes scheduled uh, on that Senate passed bill. Moder some of the progressives are still saying they won't go there. Right. So they've got to sort of settle that first, I think, before they settle uh, the, uh, the total decision on the pay force. Peggy, similar situation with the climate provisions. So much stuff was in, then all of a sudden it was out, namely... Uh, the clean energy component that would have cleaned the utility, uh, the power grids, the utility companies with incentives and penalties to, to use more green sourced power. I spoke a little bit earlier today on Bloomberg Radio with the administrator of the EPA, Michael Regan, to have him kind of frame what is in this. We see $555 billion, a lot of tax incentives. Here's how he framed it historic investments that will not only help us mitigate climate change and adapt to climate change, but there are historic investments to protect public health. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot in this proposed framework, and it's too early to tell uh, about what the next steps would be after this is passed. Too early to tell exactly where it's going, Peggy, but the administration's clearly trying to put a good shine on this. Democratic leaders uh, on Capitol Hill are as well. Is this an effective package of, of climate change policies, though, or is this kind of a disparate collection of just what they were able to fit in? Well, I think, Joanne, is, um, following on to what Jody said, you know, the president headed off to Europe and for the COP summit with the hopes of having a lot of concrete, finalized, you know, things to show, including on climate change. I do think we are still in a murky area. You know, talking about investments in climate change is certainly something that, you know, our readers at Bloomberg have been talking about and are certainly, you know, looking towards. And, of course, we all can see how some of the climate issues are playing into companies' bottom lines more and more, as well as American households. But it is unclear really where we are in terms of tangible, concrete things that may make a difference. Having said that, though, I mean, Biden does head over to Europe with a, di a much different stance than than in the Trump administration, you know, with the U.S. having rejoined Paris Climate Agreement. So I think they have more leverage, but like in, in the sense of attending these meetings from that standpoint. But again, it is still unclear how much how much of the teeth that is in there is really going to hold. We're going to get into the president's trip and what he has to show for it coming up. But first, Jody, real quick timeline. Does infrastructure get passed next week or are we looking Again, towards Thanksgiving. I think we're going to be running around asking people those questions uh, all next week, Joe. <laughs> we all right, just my dance know. card is full. Stay right here. We've got Peggy and Jody for the hour. We will look ahead to the G20 COP26 right here on Sound On. That's next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 991 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston. 
Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal, Biden admits to Macron that sub-deal handling was clumsy. So are we friends again? And what's the job facing Joe Biden at the G20, not to mention the U.N. Climate Summit that will follow? We'll get into it next in our Friday Reporters Roundtable. Bloomberg Washington Bureau Chief Peggy Collins and Jody Schneider, political director for Bloomberg TV and radio with us this hour as President Biden spends the night in Rome. After starting his day at the Vatican and a meeting with Pope Francis, it lasted roughly 90 minutes, according to the pool. And it, of course, came with the traditional exchange of gifts. The Pope presenting the President and First Lady with gifts that included a ceramic tile with an etched design of Vatican City, as well as his recent writings. President Biden gave the Pope a vestment from the 1930s that came from Biden's Washington Parish, the Holy Trinity Church. Also gave him a presidential challenge coin. A very touching moment included the insignia of the National Guard unit in which his son, Bo Biden, served as a captain. And with it, a joke. As President Biden told the Pope, if he did not have that challenge coin with him, this is the way it works. If he didn't have it with him next time they met, he said the Pope would have to buy the drinks. Then he added this. I'm the only Irishman you've ever met who's yeah. never had a drink. <laughs> Followed by a translator. <laughs> and the Pope there agreed. <laughs> saying, quote, Irish people love whiskey. You cannot make this stuff up. Now fast forward to President Biden's first face-to-face meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron, that happened a short time later. First face-to-face since the submarine deal with Australia was announced, causing outrage in France. Biden offering today deference to the French. What happened uh, was, to use an English phrase, what we did was clumsy. It was not done with a lot of grace. I was under the impression certain things had happened that hadn't happened. We turn again to our Friday Reporters Roundtable with Bloomberg Washington Bureau Chief Peggy Collins and the political director for Bloomberg TV and radio, Jody Schneider. Jody, you've covered a lot of bilats like this. To see the president taking that posture, clearly uh, this was important to him. It's something he wanted to show his cards on while the press was in the room. Is this now over? Well, I think it certainly uh, helped mend things. This really was, uh, Joe, the culmination of six weeks of diplomacy, trying to get this alliance uh, back on track Mm -hmm. after, uh, obviously, Australia decided to cancel the $66 billion submarine contract with France. And the French uh, were surprised by that and pulled their ambassador for a while. And it was messy. So I think this is the start of that. I don't know that, you know, all is forgiven overnight, but certainly to do this uh, on the sidelines. Uh, before the G20, you know, actually gets into full swing, was was a was a smart diplomatic idea by yeah. Biden. And coming after his visit with the Pope, it really kind of sends this signal that you know, I'm trying to do the right things. Right, we're trying here, Peggy. As I read in the uh, the piece from Jennifer Epstein and Justin Sink, our White House team, the French president signaled the dust up may be settled. But it's important to prevent a similar flap in the future. He needs to say that for his own people as well. Is this smoothed out now, Peggy? 
I agree with Jody. I think it went a long way. I think one of the things that the French probably were wanting to get across is, you know, you can't taste, you can't count your friends and allies, um, you know, or take them for granted, really. You know, and I think as Biden said today and acknowledged, you know, in a mea culpa, like this was something that was clumsy. And I think it, it he was trying to signal that they're going to um, be take more attention and be more careful in the future to make sure that, you know, the relations between our strongest allies are are strong. Mm-hmm. So it's on to G20 and then it's on to COP26. These are two important summits for this White House as President Biden tries to fulfill the whole U.S. America is back mantra. And I want to go back to our conversation uh, today, a little bit earlier today, with the administrator of the EPA, Michael Regan. I say that because climate was such a big part of this, right? He was supposed to bring progress, not only to the U.N. summit, but also to the G20, to show that America and democracy were working. I asked the EPA administrator what the president will have to show to world leaders when this all begins. The president will tell the world that $555 billion uh, dedicated to mitigating climate change is what is central to the framework. And he's confident that in his conversations with both Congress and the Senate, that it will get through, and he's awaiting that on his desk. Jody Schneider, that's the view of the administration. Will that be the view of, of world leaders? Is this enough? Well, that's really the question. And and whether they see a framework uh, as, as a deal, yeah. um, you know, I think that obviously Biden would have preferred, and uh, the administration kept saying, we want to go to the world and say, you know, we have something to show for this. Uh, and, um, you know, COP26, this means there have been 26 of these before, 25 of these before, this is the 26th. And if they want real progress to be made, they're going to have to have definitive, mm-hmm. actionable, um, you know, legislation. So I think there probably will be some skepticism. But again, uh, Joe Biden, is saying we are back, we are wanting to work with these other countries, which also goes a long way, uh, given that the, um, you know, the very different kind of approach his predecessor, Donald Trump, had. I guess the French would call it a cadre, right, instead of a framework? That's right. Peggy, (laughs) uh, Peggy, what do you think about that? I mean, we're having trouble getting our heads around it here in Washington. Uh, Does this matter as much, or are we just too deep in the weeds here? Does it matter as much to COP26, or does President Biden say, look at it, it's a half trillion dollars here. It's a major investment. You know, I think, as Judy was saying, the the COP26 is about more of a test than just for Biden, the Biden administration and and the U.S. I think it's important, but I do think there's a huge, like, anticipation versus reality question going on for all the world elite that are headed to Glasgow about how much can they really do and how much hope can they provide to the developing world on that front as well. And so I think there's a high bar. And I think also, you know, you were mentioning the G20 as well um, happening. And that I do think is really important for Biden and Yellen, too. I mean, we were, were talking about the moves that happened this week related to our domestic tax um, plans and proposals. But there's a global minimum tax deal that is hanging out there that Yellen is really, you know, tasked with trying to close the deal on with other world leaders this weekend and this week as well. The 15 percent global minimum corporate tax. Peggy Collins, I'm delighted you could join us. And Jody, of course, part of the family here at Sound On. Jody Schneider, many thanks for being part of our Friday Reporters Roundtable. Coming up, we turn back to Election Day. This is Bloomberg. 
Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Sound On is brought to you by SEI. Crises bring out the best in people. Character, community, partnership together as one. SEI. Go to seic.com slash IMS. The deadline just passed for municipal workers in New York to prove they got the jab, at least one vaccination shot or unpaid leave. This policy from Mayor de Blasio has been very controversial, as you might suspect. A quarter of municipal workers, that includes police, firefighters, even sanitation workers, refusing to take the shot could cause some big interruptions come Monday morning. It's become a big issue in the race for mayor. And ahead of Tuesday's election, I talked about it with both candidates, Democrat Eric Adams, the current Brooklyn Borough President, and Republican Curtis Sliwa, founder of the group The Guardian Angels, the Neighborhood Watch Group. And I want to note here, to be clear, I spoke with both of them before the FDA formally authorized the Pfizer vaccine for young kids because I do ask them about how this should be handled in schools. Let's start right now with Republican Curtis Sliwa. Look, we had the perfect uh, common-sense approach. If you couldn't be vaccinated, wouldn't be vaccinated, thought that antibodies uh, uh, meant you didn't have to be vaccinated, test them once a week. They were doing that. But the mayor on his way out, like Michael Corleone is trying to settle all scores. As a result, we will not have police, fire departments, sanitation personnel. I'm joining them today outside of Gracie Mansion because this is an outrage. Where is the humanity? We're going to fire these men and women, essential workers, heroes, when in the midst of the lockdown and pandemic, they risked their lives, they gave their lives, Now we're going to fire them, furlough them. That means they can't get another job and they won't be able to get unemployment. How is how does that make sense? So when I'm elected, schools, how about for schools? Once the vaccine is approved for young children. Right. We roll back the mandates and we get the workers back and we give them back pay for children. I have three children in the public school system. I want them vaccinated, but we're not going to kick kids out of school because for Various reasons parents don't want them vaccinated. You sit down, you get the parents involved, you try to convince them that the children should be vaccinated. We just got them back into the public school rooms after a year and a half of them playing Fortnite and roadblocks. And now we want to kick kids out of school. Never, I say no to that. Never want to mince words. Republican Curtis Leo with the Michael Corleone reference. Now I asked the very same question of Democratic candidate Eric Adams. What the mayor must do, and I am encouraging him to do, is to sit down with the union members. Uh, I use the term credible messengers. Uh, they are the credible messengers for their members. 
uh, to find out what are the hurdles. Uh, we have heard the union state often uh, that they believe this should be a contractual conversation. It doesn't mean it has to take months. Uh, it's something that we could do now. And I think at this time, it's the mayor's call to make the right decision. Uh, I believe the vaccines are one of the most potent weapons against COVID. It's going to be here a long time, and we could do it in a manner that we can reach the finish line together. We understand about a quarter of city workers have not received a shot, Eric. Is it possible to run a city with that many people off the job? Uh, uh, no, it's not. But, you know, we are resilient as a city, and I don't think we have to get to that place. I believe that there's a real opportunity here. There has, there has been a trend in the last few uh, hours where the numbers have upticked, and I think that we should see this as a real win, a thorn of the opportunities. You know, let's sit down and come to a conclusion. Our city workers want to see the city move forward in the right direction. Uh, they're the heroes and sheroes of the city. And I think that a good conversation can all, have all of us take a deep breath. If we, if we move past the loud talk, you'll see that we're all saying the same things. And I think we should get there together. How would you treat schools once a vaccine is available for young kids? Would there be a mandate for them as well? Um, I am clear that we're going to follow the science. Uh, I believe it's imperative to listen to the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, our health care professionals, the CDC. Uh, we should not allow these policies to be based on our emotions or philosophical beliefs. If the science is saying that we should put in place a mandate, then I say let's do it. Let's speak with the parents. Let's give them the understanding. There it is. Adams and Sliwa on Bloomberg Sound On. I want to mention, before we bring in Scotter Woodhouse for more on this, Curtis Sliwa was hit by a car today. He was hit by a yellow cab in the middle of Manhattan. And we have an update on his condition. As I read, Curtis has been diagnosed with a fractured left arm which requires a sling. In addition, he has swelling on his left knee, which will require an ACE bandage. Very specific. There is no internal bleeding. He is currently being fit into a sling. He might not feel great when he gets up tomorrow. Let's bring in Bloomberg Scotter Woodhouse, as promised, been covering the New York mayoral race, along with the New Jersey governor's race. Skyler, it's great to have you. Is this already decided? Um, that's a very good, uh, very good question. Um, I think overwhelming for, lead for Eric Adams. <laughs> I mean, so for the mayoral race in New York City, um, everyone has been saying that you know Eric Adams really has a clear shot at winning here. Um, it will be very, you know, surprising. It'll be a great shock to I think everyone. You know, if Curtis Lewa, you know, was able to kind of pull through and win the election, but you know, obviously we'll have to wait to see what the results are, but. Eric Adams is still, you know, really pulling forward and it looks like he will, you know, take the race home. An overwhelming uh, turnout in the latest poll that I saw, the Emerson College poll that was out before their debate earlier this week. That same poll also showed that most people, most voters believe crime is the number one issue in this race. They both have different angles on this. I asked them both about it. Does one seem to be resonating more than another, specifically when it comes to crime? This is something Curtis Lee has been talking about his whole career, making the subway safe. Yeah, I mean, crime has definitely been rising, you know, in this city. I mean, back during the primaries, I mean, all the candidates were, you know, crime is the number one issue. Voters were very concerned about crime. 
And it seems like crime has just really continued to increase. So, you know, both candidates have some sort of policing background and have, you know, been able to kind of say, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. I mean, Eric Adams, you know, he has used the fact that he was, you know, in the force for almost like 20 years. And he said, you know, we're, that we're going to deploy more cops. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to get the streets safe again because he's made the point that if the streets aren't safe, then companies aren't going to want to do business in the city or if they're not already here in the city, move into the city and start their business. I just so, love the you know, sound of the sirens behind you as you talk about crime in the city, Skylar. This is brilliant. I know. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, so that's Tuesday, New York. Talk to us quickly about New Jersey while you're with us, because I've seen polls showing uh, the governor, Governor Murphy, uh, and Chitterelli essentially tied. There's another one that shows Murphy with a nine-point lead right now in the final days of the governor's race. Are these are these noisy numbers, or do we have a trend here? You know, I think as well, people expect Governor Murphy to you know get that second term, and if he if he were to secure a second term, he will be the first Democrat in basically in nearly like four decades to have a second term as governor in the state of New Jersey. So, you know, that's kind of going for him right now. Um, I think for Cedarelli, it's a bit challenging because, you know, he has distanced himself from um, President Trump a little bit. But, you know, I think it's he's being kind of compared to how will he serve as a Republican governor when we're seeing what is coming out of Florida and Texas. Um, and New Jersey is such a heavily Democratic state that, it is in Murphy's favor, but again, we'll just have to wait and see what really happens. It's a great point. New Jersey has not reelected a Democrat for governor in four decades. It's a remarkable uh, point of trivia here. But New Jersey, Schuyler also has a million more Democratic than Republican voters. Joe Biden won the state by more than 16 points. If Governor Murphy loses to Jack Chitterelli, what does that say about the state of the Democratic Party? Yeah, and some people that I've spoken with, it's almost like, you know, they say, you know, they say, so also when you look at New Jersey, like both, their senators are both Democrats, the state senators. So, you know, they say it's a very Democratic state. Only, you know, Democratic senators are elected, but we'll have a, a Republican governor here and there. So I think for like the culture of New Jersey, it might not be too shocking to people from what they've seen in the past four decades. Um you know, some people might just be thinking, oh, that he, that Jack Chitterelli is going to win because that's been the trend um, for how things have just been in the state for, like I said, four decades. But, you know, I think we'll have to wait and see. And I think also no one really knows what to expect from a second term Democrat as governor in the state of New Jersey because it hasn't happened in so long. So Democrats, you know, they vote. They're known to vote on the early That's side. Republicans go out on election day, so we'll have to see what happens. With that race so close, Skyler, are both candidates out on the stump this weekend? You've got a busy weekend ahead? Yes, they are out. They're out, and they're out and about. They're, you know, making their rounds. They're trying to snag those final votes, um, you know, for people that are might be undecided or who are, you know, independent. So they're definitely doing everything that they can to secure those final votes so that way, you know, they can save their next governor. <laughs> yes, indeed. Schuyler Woodhouse. Bloomberg Schuyler Woodhouse covering both of these races. We thank you for the insights on this Friday. And thank you for spending some time with us on the fastest hour in politics. It really is. Where does it go? I hope the weekend doesn't go that fast. Don't forget to get the candy out for the kids. 
And if you know what you're doing, full-size candy bars. Happy Halloween. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.